A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You don't want to miss Ballet Collective's 10th New York City season, featuring the world premieres of Force of Shifting Time and The First and Last Light. These new ballets feature composers Augusta Reed Thomas and Alex Summers, with choreography by Troy Schumacher and Bryn Cohn, inspired by the artists Douglas Fitch and Oliver Eliasson, including dancers from the New York City Ballet, Martha Graham, and the Juilliard School, as well as live music performed by Acropolis Reed Quintet. This will be the first ballet performance in a gorgeous new space in Lower Manhattan, Trinity Commons. 89 Broadway, this November 2nd at 7.30 p.m. For more information, check out balletcollective.com slash tickets and follow them on their socials at Ballet Collective. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by Michelle Bird McPhee of Ladies of Hip Hop. Ladies of Hip Hop Dance Collective is an all-female, intergenerational dance collective that creates dance works illuminating the strength, power, and diversity of women in hip hop. Michelle founded the company in 2004 and continues to lead the organization. On November 3rd, join Ladies of Hip Hop for the Black Dancing Bodies Project in the Clark Studio Theater in Lincoln Center an ongoing performance and documentary effort to represent Black women in street and club dance culture. This session highlights the choreo poem. Led by Michelle, new writing, poetry by Ursula Rucker, and music and dance of street, club, and African culture come together in this show-and-tell, culminating the Ladies of Hip Hop's Works in Process Launchpad Residency at the Catskill Mountain Foundation. Tickets on sale now at lincolncenter.org or click the link in the description of this episode. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to chat with you and hear more about the amazing work that you're doing. But we want to just kind of get started at the beginning like we do with all our guests. Tell us about how you very first got interested in dance and the arts. Oh, wow. Go for the deep ones. Um, yeah, we love that. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't really remember any distinct time that I didn't love dance. Um, you know, I come from a generation that um, PBS was a big thing. And so that I was watching dance. I was watching Ailey and um, mm. Bersh- um, Bershnikov and the Nutcracker. and all Classic. The- 
Yeah, all this great programming and all I ever, you know, wanted to do was dance. And I and I also grew up dancing with my family because I never pursued um well, I didn't it's not that I didn't pursue it, but I just didn't have the opportunities to like train and dance in that way. Mm-hmm. But I always danced. I was part of every little dance team, you know, drill team. Mm-hmm. Um I was part of Renaissance Club when I was in high school and I performed. I had a neighbor who um had her BFA from a college, a nearby college, and she used to just teach me, you know, take me, you know, and have classes in her garage. So I've I've always danced. You know, my mom was a dancer in high school. She took that's when the arts was still in high school. She had ballet and um we were originally from Philly. So Arthur Hall um had a dance company in Philly and she trained with his company in West Philly. So dance and, and music have always been part of my life. Mm-hmm. I, it's so interesting to think about like uh, uh, the arts being you I mean not that we need to go this is that's a very deep cut if we're going to the <laughs> arts being cut you know but like, it's like I think about my education in Kentucky of all places and I remember like having access to that and like PBS being such a, a great um tool for for learning and access to dance but we can talk about that another day. <laughs> um, <Another> episode. <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, at what point did you start to kind of um, make dance more of like a focal point in your life or something that you were considering doing um, as, as a life, as a career? You know, it's interesting. I don't think I ever did until probably um, I'll share my age because I think it's great. Um, I love that I'm aging in dance. I'm 52. And I don't think until... I, I recently left a nonprofit that actually kind of collapsed because our um, there were some like internal kind of conflicts and mm-hmm. um, I I think at that point you know so within and this was like maybe four months before the pandemic um, I was like I'm not gonna work for anyone else ever again I'm gonna dance you know like I'm gonna be an artist and I'm gonna mm-hmm. um, put everything that I put into everyone else into my work. But in terms of actually like starting Lazy Hip Hop and performing and all of that stuff, um, I really tried to get away from it. And, you know, cause I was a club dancer and I spent my life working and going to the club. I didn't go to college mm-hmm. until I was 24 because I wanted to dance and, mm-hmm. and you had to audition and you had to do ballet and you had to, you know, do your own little combination and all this stuff. So that was just never an option for me cause I didn't know how to do any of that. So. Mm-hmm. Know, the club was my resource and um, and my second family. And so mm-hmm. within that space, you know, I started performing, whether, you know, whether it was, you know, a local artist or something that was doing a video or, you know, something that was getting filmed. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I started to do in Philadelphia, probably in my mid-20s. And mm-hmm. then um, at 28, I made my own uh all-female hip-hop company with a with a, one of my friends, Crystal Frazier. And so that's kind of, I guess, when you would say it became professional. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where did, did you go to college? And was were you working on dance in college as well? No, I went to Temple. I, I have a degree in public health um, mm-hmm. for my undergrad degree. And I was a social worker when I came. I, I really tried. Oh. I tried so hard to get away from dance. And then people would call me to do stuff. And, <laughs> You know, it just called me. It wasn't something that I, I could really walk away from. And um, and then when I went back to school, by that time I had started my nonprofit, I was applying for grants, kind of just like winging it, running a nonprofit, um, did the like whole 30 page application they used to have back in the day and bylaws mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and then I went back to school for a nonprofit arts management. So I went to Brussels. Awesome. So I'm a right, Philly yeah. girl through and through. But I've been in the <laughs> area for about 16 years now. So Yeah, yeah. 
How do those experiences, like you know, getting your higher education, how does that inform the work you do as an artist too? Like, how does that help with the work you're doing with Ladies of Hip Hop? I mean, I think in in a really, really fundamental way, it helps me, uh, you know, get funding for us mm-hmm. to be able to do what we do. Um, and for a long time, you know, that I feel like we've recently become the it thing. And, you know, if you're a person of color, if you're doing hip hop, if you're a woman, you know, all of a sudden there's all these opportunity and funding, which was never there before, you know, especially... Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't fit in this really narrow box, there was funding for a hip hop concert dance and that was it. And it was only one person and that was it, you know? Um, And I think um, what, you know, my education has allowed me to do is really kind of figure out ways to pull resources and pour them into my community that was always lacking um, funding and support. And I mean, I'm glad that it's coming, you know, our way now, but, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years and, um, you know, I think also just being able to be in a room in a space and um, be able to give that pitch about what I do and mm-hmm. you know why it's important. And those are things that, you know, when you, you as a girl, like I'm going to start my own dance company because that's kind of was like I'm going to start my own drill team. That's kind of how it was. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it wasn't you know, I didn't I didn't know any I didn't even know how to choreograph or count at that point, you know, mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, just being able to be able, being able to be in a room and be in a space and talk about who we are and what we do is just, it's valuable in a way that, you know, I think um, had I not gone to school because I had a great chairwoman that was um, part of our nonprofit department um, who was just like, okay, everyone comes to this conference and tell everyone what you do. And it wasn't an option. It was part of your grade. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, she kind of forced us into these uncomfortable situations, you know, often in spaces that were traditionally white. So they were like, oh, hip hop, and then, you know, turn their head and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So um, just being able to build that kind of um, resource and know-how, um, you know, to talk about who we are and what we do. Yeah. So we come from the world of ballet. And one of the best things about this podcast is learning about other dance forms and kind of hearing more from you guys. And so I wonder, as you're talking about this funding that used to traditionally fit in this box, what makes ladies of hip hop outside that box and sets you apart and is something different from maybe what was just traditionally seen before and funding was granted for? Well, I think like a lot of forms and I'm, I know this is very true in the ballet world, you know, hip hop dance and cultures, club dances were and, and club styles were were and still are pretty dominated by men in terms of teaching and battling around mm-hmm. the world. So in terms of spreading the culture, you know, the guys were the only ones who were really seen um, for the most part and, um, you know, creating a space specifically for women to be showcased and presented and to also create the work that we're performing and then also teach, um, I think was a huge shift um, and what we were seeing. And, uh, and also just, I know for women who, that I brought, you know, that I brought, cause it originally started in Philly. So I was, you know, bringing New York dancers down to Philly and they, you know, had taught all around the world, you know, some of them, um, cause there was a few, there's always a few, we've always been here. We've always been part of it. Um, but not, you know, in the masses and we're still not, you know, um, we're always in the classroom, you know, but we're not at the forefront of stuff right. in terms organizers and those things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what Ladies of Hip Hop saw, I think, has done is to show people like from the beginning, you know, from the top to the bottom, we can uh, kind of do this ourselves. And I think the education part is a big part of it, because, you know, um, it is, 
I think it's really thought of hip hop, you know, dance is really thought of as a male dance, period. It really is. You know, I think it stops at breaking, you know, and, you know, you just there's the concept that you have to be strong and you have to. And there's so much there's so many other things, you know, there's up styles or, you know, um, finesse. There's there are women who are super strong and have power and stuff as well. And just like having the space to have all of that present, um, I think, is what. You know, we started when I started, you know, we're going to 2024 is 20 years. Um, when I started, it was super rare, you know, um, so it was kind of, you know, one of the only I, I knew of one other all female event in the UK. Um, but it was really centered around um, B-girls. So that's only, mm-hmm. only the breaking community. Um mm-hmm. But still dope, you know, and still one of a, you know, we're very rare at the time. And now you see so much more of it. But, you know, Lazy Hip Hop has kind of like grown as like that, you know, starting or focal point in the U.S. for sure as the starting ground for women in hip hop. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, the founding of the company. Like, it seems like it started as just sort of like a practical thing. Like women didn't have a voice in the community and you're just trying to embolden other women in hip hop but did you have a longer arc of a goal like did you see yourself 20 years from now and like and that the educational component was going to be this big part of it or what where did you start at like what was the the jumping off part every year that we exist i'm in shock um, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, to be perfectly honest i re- it really started out in a selfish way with with a few women in particular one being honey rockwell who was um one of the first uh, b-girls that i knew about she's she's a little older than me too so she's she's pioneering she's still dancer she has her own studio so honey rockwell um tweet boogie who is a hip-hop dancer here in new york city a popper was was really known for popping but like popping in heels dressed like super feminine and then she mm-hmm. hit like harder than most guys and then mm-hmm. marjorie smarth who was a house dancer who's no longer with us but became a really really good friend of mine and just was this amazing mover with a haitian background that all of that compa style and all that was in her house you know like samba everything and then like her new york influence it was just the, I, so I would bring these amazing women that I met in clubs down to Philly, like and as a, a selfish way to like train me and my company. And it really started out as that. Just like wow. weekends, I would, you know, just like pay to have them come down. They stay at my house and, you know, it, we would everyone would fellowship around it. So we're also hanging out. They're going to the clubs in Philly. We're going out to eat. So that kind of like you know, um, community of it. And then I would have other women calling me, asking me that weren't in my company, could they come? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, and so it kind of dawned on me that there was a need for it. So officially it started in 2004, but I was doing that long before. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's it really started out was just like, I want to hang out with some dope women, <laughs> learn from some dope women. And I also had dancers who were coming to me with strictly studio, studio training. So they had hung out in clubs. So we had like polar opposite kind of experiences in and lived experience in dance. So I was all club and they were all studio. And so it was, you know, we had to kind of give them like the origins of the dance and how it should really feel as opposed to, you know, what, you know, facing a mirror and, and learning it in that way all the time. Right. That's interesting. I, I feel like, um, like Michael and I have talked about a lot, like when we started teaching, we started to approach the way we were dancing differently. And like, we kind of like started to analyze differently and learn different things. So do you feel like the same was for you? And then maybe that started to kind of like, you said you maybe 
started to go into choreography, started to get that more formal, like counting down, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, well, the, my partner in my first company was was Montage Performing Arts Company, all female hip hop, but we all had different backgrounds and different training. So she came from a background where she was like five and she's got all the tap pictures and costumes. <laughs> you know, she had like competition trophies that were taller than her. So she came from that background. Right. I had tappers, I had ballet dancers, I had gymnasts. So. Cool. Uh, within that, I was able to just learn from that environment. So I wasn't really teaching yet. And I still don't teach a lot because it's just like not something I have a lot of time for. I do teach mm-hmm. at NYU though, but <laughs> I, I only teach maybe once or twice. But when I first started teaching, I think the opposite. I really tried to fit into the box of like what I had seen happening in studios. And so it was like, turn around, face me and face the mirror. And um, I am, you know, I think... It, it takes a certain person to have certain kind of personality to teach and stuff. And I'm very much like about um, probably more of a Jill, Jill Sargent, people would say. <laughs> so I had to unlearn um, this kind of practice of like just doing the thing um, to to learn the step and and really try and create a communal environment to 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 I think make a better experience for people who are outside of the community and so like turning you know like teaching in a cipher and um and having people partner with each other because that's how I learned you know I'm like what are you, what's that move you're doing show me and so you know even depending on the students in class like we're all students at that point you know and so um yeah so teaching is interesting I'm I think I'm still um learning and developing and and trying to become a better teacher um and not like repeat that behavior that i've seen and and or or maybe like unhealthy (laughs) unhealthy that resonated that resonated (laughs) oh i'm sure ballet can understand yeah that's 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 always my number one rule don't pass the trauma on (laughs) let's be better let's be better in all art forms you know what i mean like everyone has that that person or that way that they learned that just wasn't probably um feeding your soul and so mm-hmm. like trying to make sure that i'm aware of that and like bringing that into my teaching mm-hmm. i'd love to hear a little bit more about um translating like an art form that is born in clubs translating mm-hmm. that to like a proscenium theater like mm-hmm. how how um how do you have something that's like, it feels like the energy of people surrounding you at a club is something that feeds you as a, an artist and a performer, but then a proscenium theater, you know, it's just more formal. People are going to be seated or, and, you know, maybe not like giving you that sort of vocal encouragement that is like, you know, yeah. a big part of the essence of what you do. Like, What's yeah, that I'm, translation like? That's a great question. I think we're also still figuring that out as we are, are, are presenting more of what we do on the stage. Um, I think what I've seen has been very performative and fits right in the box and is, you know, but I, we, you know, we did a show, Works in Process has been a great support of who we are um, just organically and no interest mm-hmm. to tra- change us. And so having that freedom and even creating um, allows to change what you're going to see on stage. And, you know, so we performed on, on the Guggenheim stage, which is, it's, it's, it's interesting because the it's curved, you know, so it has that apron. Yeah. And and so already it, it's a totally different experience, you know, for, for us as performers, but also for the audience. And we just took that particular moment that we presented all of that work and and 
made sure that it was for us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've had people comment, um, somebody who I is I respect immensely that's out outside of our community that was just like, it was almost as, as if we weren't there as an audience, even though they felt, you know, we heard them and they heard us, but they were like, mm-hmm. no, you know, you dance for yourself. I got the message. I have to go home and write a paper to try and figure mm-hmm. it out cipher you know what you wanted you know he's like i don't know if it was what you wanted but i feel like i got the message the moment that you stepped on the stage and it was it was for our black dancing bodies project in particular Mm -hmm. which we're doing some more work some solo works from that but um you know i think we're doing a good job of like not trying to change it for proscenium but it's also we're pushing um, you know, what a club might not allow us to do. So you're, you know, when yeah. you're a club, you're literally in competition with everyone else that's there that's dancing. Not Maybe not battling, but literally just like in terms mm-hmm. of space, you know. Um, so you don't have the space to do like a full-out performance and all of this. Right. And, um, and you don't have time to say what you might want to say. And so in that way, I think proscenium spaces are great because we can get up there and share who we are individually as artists, but as a collective, and we can share a message um, beyond just like dancing for entertainment, you know, cause a club is really, um, it's a healing space for one, but it, it really is more of an individual space that you go and you either get something or you leave something there. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can gather with people who are in the same community, but I feel like, uh, we have a bigger platform on these proscenium stages and I, I definitely want to be there. Some, some people feel like it doesn't, um, belong there. And I, I understand that, you know, um, I understand, you know, keeping something for us. I, I understand all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that choice or that opportunity should be there, period. Yeah. Sure. Let's talk about the Black Dancing Body Project. Um, tell us about its origins, how it started and what it's kind of developed into. Uh, that that project started, you know, Ladies of Hip Hop has been around, like I said, since 2004. And, and, you know, I still, even within the sisterhood, was still looking for, you know, like a deeper connection, just to deal with some of the things that I deal with, you know, like traveling uh, the world to go to these battles, you know, Amsterdam, Paris, all these massive battles. And I'm there and I'm having you know, these experiences that are not positive experiences, um, what I would say traveling wild, wild black, also mm-hmm. kind of surprised because I think I expect it in America, but I don't expect it when I go other places. So I'm also learning like, yeah, of course, this is everywhere, you know, um, yeah. and, and, and in different ways. I wouldn't say as, you know, probably not as um, passive aggressive as here, but like just, you know, things happening, right? Like just being ignored when I'm with a group of dancers that I might be the only dancer in there, you know, just mm-hmm. the only black dancer in there. Right. And so, um, and then just also just seeing visually, like very rarely do you see um, black women in hip hop photograph together. You see black women in dance. Um, and so that there's that, you know, this like not being included even in that subgroup, you know? Um, so you see things that, you know, Black dancers who are you know, doing more Eurocentric forms and, and. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And uh, which I understand that's, uh, that's beautiful as well, like not to take anything away from that. So Black Dancing Bodies actually started out just as a visual project to bring those women that I knew in club and street and hip hop styles together and just take a picture. And we we did this amazing shoot and it kind of like kind of blew up. And and from the moment that they all were in the room, I was like, yo, this is really dope, y'all. We got to we got to create some work for the stage, like all of this, like talent in this room and this experience and this stories. And then, you know, I started interviewing folks and then I was like, I want to create work for the stage. And at the same time, uh, works in process was asking around. They were asking Efrat, they were asking Latasha, Alora um, from Late Ballet, Afrique, all these folks, like who, who should we, you know, be putting in resonance? Who has something great? And, um, you know, they recommended Lazy Hip Hop. And then I met Duke and I told him about the Black Dancing Bodies Project. And he was like, oh, my God, yes. You know, <laughs> and so, you know, I owe a lot to Works in Process for the support. Um, but it really started out just as, as a way to document us visually. And now we have, you know, interviews that we'll have archived and, you know, we're wow. creating performance work for the stage and we're continuing to photograph women because it was only about 15 of us at that point, um, maybe a little less. And um, of course, there's so many. And so the idea is just to continue to photograph different groups of women. Yeah. And when right. were these initial conversations um, with Duke Dang of um, works in process going on? Well, the picture I did, it was like a year pre-pandemic. So mm-hmm. before all of the things, George Floyd and mm-hmm. and and the pandemic, all the things that kind of have changed the 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 pulse and temperature of what's happening in the world now um and these conversations were him were during the pandemic um when we're you know uh, offering residencies as a way the bubble residencies as a way for artists to work and we did our first black dancing body bubble residency in january 2020 so wow yeah it's just it's it's also so fascinating how um like so there's just I'm just thinking of so many different components of like the crossover between what we do. It's like we we, we might speak a different language, but it's still like um, it's just so many similarities there. I'm, I'm, I want to get a little bit deeper into um, uh, your experiences abroad in different places, because that's, that's making me think that's what I'm thinking of is like when you go and take a ballet class in. Paris or London, it's it's going to be a little bit more like a different dialect, let's say, like when you go to those places. um like how does that differ like atmospherically or aesthetically or, or like what what are those clubs like compared to what you're you're garnering here yeah i think dance hip-hop dance in particular and other countries um for the most part don't have the compu- the community punk component so mm-hmm. they came into it more, and i'm not saying that it doesn't exist at all because i don't want anyone coming for me but <laughs> it did in New York because it even doesn't exist the way it used to in New York right I mean like the pandemic kind of wiped out a lot of that you know Mm -hmm. Um, but you know they were learning Vogue whacking hip-hop 
popping in classrooms straight up, you know, and they Mm -hmm. have such a bigger battle mentality. So they also train in a different way for battling. Um, And so that's why you see the premier B-boys in like Japanese countries, Korea, because Mm -hmm. it's more um, of, I wouldn't say a sport, but just like, you know, it just, it's not so much about community and having fun. It's really about being the best at all times. Right. That more of that competitive spirit. Um, and so I feel safe and, and welcome within those communities is, you know, I've been to Japan and been to um, Taiwan and, and within those spaces, like the studios that specifically um, have our dances, um, I'm fine. You know, it's mm-hmm. outside of that, you know, when I go to the night market and, you know, people are looking at me or pointing at me, you know, but I mean, you know, in Taiwan, I literally was pretty much the only person that I saw that looked like me. So I'm not mm-hmm. surprised, you know, like. So there's some some of that and but it's also an opportunity to learn about other cultures and so in in many ways like it's it's i love it i love to travel i would never have thought i would be traveling the world portugal all these places because of because of dance you know mm-hmm. um and because of hip-hop dance in particular you know because i remember it was a time when people would i would say oh i'm a dancer and they say oh what would you do and i said oh i'm a, I'm a hip-hop dancer or i would say it really low or i would say oh contemporary because hip-hop is contemporary but i would say contemporary because people wouldn't understand it you know mm-hmm. so it was this um you know it was a long time before i could really honestly take ownership of that and and part of that is is you know people seeing us visible in spaces that they've seen other dances you know so yeah. Yeah. I wonder how much um, this traveling and seeing the way that other um, countries and other places approach dance, if that influences at all your work and what you're doing in your choreography. I think yes. And I don't know if y'all, you both could speak to this as well, but they have resources that are just like unlimited. And so (laughs) Michael just had this experience. Yeah. Yeah. So to go and watch hip hop dance and theaters over there is like, what? Like, you know, it's like full out productions with like an ABT budget, you know, like yeah. it's, yeah. It's, it's incredible. And mm-hmm. so what it what it has done, it's not to like necessarily be like that. I mean, I would love it, but also it just it has made me, you know, advocate and fight for, I think, what we do um, mm-hmm. to be spaces i think what tends to happen with presenters here is that they go abroad and they see hip-hop abroad and they're like oh they're doing something else over there and i'm like yeah because they're paid as artists you know to like just to to train and and create you know that's you know Mm -hmm. you're not working full-time you know like i work full-time jobs all like up until the pandemic you know to just Mm -hmm. be able to afford to do what i do you know Mm -hmm. and and not that I'm making the kind of money I was in full-time jobs, but at least now, you know, through residents and bookings and stuff, we're, we're, we're getting some income, but we're not like, you know, supported, you know, right. um, pay and health insurance and all that kind of stuff like that is, just, you know, so when I, when I sit there, I'm just like, this is amazing. And I really wish that, you know, arts in our country were supported like that, you know? And so it just makes me want to advocate more um, for us as artists and like work with places like Dance NYC and, and even corporate sponsorship. Like this year we got uh, Snipes came on as a partner. And so we were able to open up a studio space because very often hip hop 
in street dance, you know, people don't want us in their spaces with sneakers on. They don't want us to mess up the Marley. I totally get it. We don't want to, you know, bust out our knees. You know, it's it's a mutual thing. We don't really want to be on Marley. So to be able to have our own space and present what we want to present and rent, you know, like I have a really, really like very affordable rental um, for people who need to want to come and just do a class or they, they need to rehearse their company for a club performance, you know, those kinds of things where they're not going to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars to like invest in, um, you know, just to present something at a club, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it just made me want to advocate. Cause I, I just feel like the arts can be better here. Um, of course. and hopefully it's heading that way. I don't know. Yeah. I'm curious. I, I want to go back because it's it's like it's been very eye opening to hear um, your experience, like as a woman in hip hop. You know, um, within like a Eurocentric art form like ballet, when we have black women on, they, you know, it's their experience of of being different is it's just it's uh, you know we, I think of it more as like a racial thing, even though we have so many problems with women not being in power in ballet as well. But one one could presume that like being in an art form that is not Eurocentric, that, um, you know, it would be the path is easier. But obviously men are still dominating and you've had to just like still fight tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, but have you how do you feel like from where you started to where you are now, like being in this form for, of dance for decades, like how have things changed for women ultimately? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think um, I think there's more similarities in the form than we real in the forms than we realize, you know, um, I think a lot of these these are we're just sub communities that are reflective of the world and our our larger community. Right. So, you know, if we live in a male white male dominated society, that's going to reflect in everything. And um, and. You know, so yes, I feel like things have changed dramatically, but I still feel like we're just more in numbers in in the as, as students. You know, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot more women who organize, but there's still, you know, there'll be women's events that are organ- organized by guys. You know, like <laughs> I love, you know, and it's just like okay, you know, and it's like. <laughs> Basically, you know, like I'm not saying that we don't need that support because I'm very mm-hmm. clear that most of the men who, you know, were around me when I came up were super supportive. So it's not even mm-hmm. necessarily that, you know, guys don't support us in this space because, you know, a lot of them will say the first time I danced was with my mom or my aunt or my sister, mm-hmm. you know, or I wanted to impress girls. That's why I became a breaker, you know, so. I really feel like, you know, that, that, that there is male presence and, and, and vice versa, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's just something about being able to have that platform for that, that weekend, that week that we have. And then also, you know, all the other programming that we have that just makes it safer for women to come in. So I'll give you an example. We have our annual battle, right. And, um, it's, it's one of the biggest female battles in the world. And we have so many women who come there, you know, like in a category, we might have 50, 60 women that we, and we have to close it sometimes, right? But then I'll go to a battle that's like a battle that's been around forever, it's co-ed, um, and I might see five women, mm. you know? And it's just like, where are, you know, a lot of them don't battle in these other battles because they just don't mm welcome or they don't feel safe or they feel mm. like they don't. it's just they don't even have an opportunity to be competitive you know and so right. 
Um, I feel like it has changed just that we have more spaces and places to do our thing, which I think we need. Um, but I do feel like if you go to, you know, a breaking all these, you'll see tons of breaking things happening. The 50 year anniversary of hip hop is next year. Um, and they are bringing all of the huge events here this summer will be the Red Bull um, BC one, which is the biggest breaking event in the world. We'll be here in the, not this summer, but in the November, actually. Um, and, you know, you'll go and you'll see, like, there's still not going to be a lot of women who are competing, hmm. you know. So in that sense, like who are making top dollar and like, you mm-hmm. know, um, Red Bull dancers and all that is still overwhelmingly dominated by men. Wow. Mm-hmm. No. It's interesting. This is reminding me of like a very lazy, um, not argument, but like ballet directors used to just be like, oh, you know, well, or boards, I think, too. We're like, well, if you know, well, when there's a great female leader, of course, we're going to hire her. Oh, when there's a, an amazing black principal female dancer, you're not going to say no, but it all starts from like the bottom level, like what you're saying, like where these women don't feel comfortable or maybe like they don't feel like they have access or agency in that space. But like what you're doing is ha- give, taking that step, you know, making one more barrier come down where like that that first step is what has to happen. You know, you can't just it's like you're not going to find a, a black female principal ballerina if you aren't also helping her get the training and access from the time she's 10, you know, all that important stuff. So tell us, I want to hear more about like the educational component that you're doing that's allowing women to feel more involved in hip hop. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a program that is about to relaunch in January. It was Girls of Hip Hop. Um, And so it was a free program for girls 7 to 17 in particular BIPOC girls. And, um, and it also is a way, especially during the pandemic, we moved to online classes, a way for our dancers to also not only gain experience, but have income, regular income to teach. And so even though it was a free program, we still paid the teachers. We weren't asking anyone to volunteer their time. And I had some of the like, you know, like premier, like I would say younger battlers and dancers, um, and, um, it was just, it was great to, 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 you know, to be able to see how many, um, young girls are interested and don't know, right. Mm-hmm. They don't know. They're like, what locking, what popping. They don't know that, you know, because social media has replaced, you know, what would be, you know, your PBS or, you know, mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, That's I know laugh at these things like American Bandstand and Soul Train and all these things that were like instrumental in us growing up and, you know, seeing dance in whatever form on TV. Mm-hmm. And then of course you have your like world of dance and all that kind of stuff, but it's just so performative. And it's like, mm-hmm. how do you even access that? You know, right. like that's not, you know, that doesn't have that like community element, you know? And so uh, it, it's it's just it's rewarding in that way. I think um, it it is an expensive program to run because of course we're paying the teachers and we're not getting you know, we're not generating any revenue. But I also think um, we did we are taking what I mean I keep saying girls but they're women because they're eighteen. Um, but our youngest dancer to go it that's in our company just turned 19 so she was 17 turning 18 going into a residency with us her first residency um she she was out of high school but just like you know graduated young 
And, um, and she was just like, this is amazing, you know, oh, so, wow. and already, you know, as, as she's creating some of her own work just from how the process of being part of that. So I think too, making sure that I'm doing what I should do generationally to make, to include, um, a younger hip hop generation and tree dance generation up into me, you know, mm-hmm. or even older if I can find, you know, because, Mostly by now, you know, we've we've retired or moved on and, you know, and to be perfectly honest, I'm looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, like, cultivate this whole group of women that, like, can take it over. I really do hope that it exists beyond me because it's not really about me, you know. Right, right. So if any of our listeners are interested in supporting this incredible program that you guys have, how could they do so? Oh, cool. Um, you can follow us, number one, at Ladies of Hip Hop Everywhere. So L-A-D-I-E-S of Hip Hop. Um, you can find us at www.ladiesofhiphop.com. We have a donate page on there um, and you can donate and you can become a monthly subscriber and donate um, one time donations, whatever you want to do. We also also need, you know, in-kind donations of time. You know, if you are interested in like social media and love newsletters, call me, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, us on uh, Instagram is the best way to get to us, too, you know, because it's pretty quick. Um, you can donate on there as well well and support or you can come see us on uh, November 3rd at Lincoln Center where we're presenting some more of our black dance and bodies work before we sign off let's um, go back to that and tell us a little bit about what you're hoping that audiences will take away from this performance on November 3rd yeah it's an interesting thing that we are working on right now which is this idea of women speaking their mind black women in particular without um, any questions, uh, any responses, um, and uninter- uninterrupted. And so I don't know what I want people to take away. I don't know that I care. I'm just going to speak my mind and do my thing. Yeah. Um, and I hope that, you know, it is at least had, you know, has, has people thinking about some of the things that we're talking about. Cause it's going to be, I know for mine in particular, not everyone's cause it's seven of us. Um, I know mine is kind of heavy, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm at an age where I have a lot to say that, and I haven't had a lot of opportunities to say it, you know? And so mine is going to be heavy and I hope that they at least think, you know, I'm not going to tell them what to think or what you should do, but, you know, just, I hope that I'm heard is the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. And how has um, Works in Process been instrumental in this process by giving you this residency, allowing, like you're you're talking about, it's so important to have a place where you feel safe to work. What has that meant to Ladies of Hip Hop to have this time, the resources to develop this project? I mean, we've been crying every day, you know, (laughs) so many tears in between lots of good meals. Um, I think, you know, having this, the the support of residencies where, you know, for many dancers and street dancers, the first time they've even hearing about this, like, what does this mean? Like a residence is where I live, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so this idea that you get to pick up and leave, number one, New York City for, you know, almost two weeks and just do your art and hang out with the people that you actually love, um, you actually love, you know, like not just love being with, but these are people we actually care about. It's just like foreign, you know, and um, I think it's really healing in ways, in particular this work, because we're not presenting any like, like big, you know, ensemble piece where we're just like dancing for like 10 minutes and Mm -hmm. 
sweating. Like we're, we're this is not that work. We're we're he's giving us the permission to like go up and like dig deeper in ourselves and part of, and it's been it's been sparking so much conversation among each other and we're learning things that you know these, some of these people are people. Uh, one of the dancers is here. I've known her since she was six. She's now twenty five, turning twenty six. Wow. You know, and so because um, I'm friends with her with her dad and. You know, I'm finding out things about her and her childhood that I didn't know because she left also the States and moved to Japan when she was seven. So, um, you know, just like her, that that part of her life until she came back. And, you know, so and then she's learning about me and, and it's it's just it's been amazing. And so works in process is really doing, I think, visionary work. I mean, because before the pandemic and before, you know, um, this kind of racial, racial awakening that people have had, you know, Duke was, and Caroline were long doing this work of presenting marginalized communities and in particular street dance. I think Duke has a, a big love for like Vogue and whacking and all the club communities. And he's just, I think a visionary in that way. And I, I see, I see personally, like everyone else following them, you know, which is great because that just means more opportunities. It's great. But like, let's be clear, um, they really were at the forefront of it. You know? And I think they continue to dig deeper. And what's unique about them, it's not just a one-time opportunity, right? Because a lot of these places, they're like, oh, let's have them because they've been getting a lot of buzz. And then mm-hmm. you'll never hear anything else from their mm-hmm. No one in their organization ever again. And Duke is always like, hey, you want to come to a show or, you know, you should see this work. It reminds me of Ladies of Hip Hop or, you know, here's an opportunity I was thinking of. Y'all should apply for this grant. Like not even things that benefit them, you know. So when it when it matters, when no one's watching, he's still in in a big support of, I think, all the artists that he presents. We we love Duke. That's so great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Michelle. This was such a a fascinating conversation. And we hope that all of our um, our listeners in New York will come out and see you guys and everyone will follow you on social media so they can continue to see the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. Thanks, Michael. Thank you.